congregation about this faith. We hope to learn more this afternoon and from, from Lord's Day 7. Let's first read from God's Word from Matthew chapter 22 and also then after Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, articles 8 and 10. We start with Matthew 22, verse 1 up to verse 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent out servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves, have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the, to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So far reading from Matthew 22. Let's also read from the Canons of Dort. Chapter 3, 4. The Articles 8 and 10. Yeah, you'll find it on page 577 in the Book of Praise. 577. Article 8, The Earnest Call by the Gospel. But as many as are called by the Gospel are earnestly called. For God earnestly and most sincerely reveals in His Word what is pleasing to Him. Namely, that those who are called should come to him. He also earnestly promises rest for their souls and eternal life to all who come to him and believe. And then to Article 10, why others who are called do come. Others who are called by the ministry of the gospel to come and are converted. This is not to be ascribed to man. He does not distinguish himself by his free will above others who are furnished with equal or sufficient grace for faith or conversion, as the proud heresy of Pelagius maintains. It is to be ascribed to good, to, to God, uh, 
he has chosen his own in Christ from eternity and calls them effectually within time. He gives them faith and repentance. He delivers them from the power of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of his Son. All this he does that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light and may boast not of themselves but of the Lord, according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. So far reading from Canons of Dord. Our focus this afternoon will be Lord's Day 7. Let's uh, read that together as well. Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 523 in our book of praise. Was the seven question answer twenty? Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all these benefits. What is a true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it's a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. Question answer 22. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. Question 23, what are these articles? And then follows the Apostles' Creed, which we sang a few minutes ago. After the preaching of the Gospel, we'll sing hymn 47, stanzas 2 and 4. Love once in Christ Jesus our Lord, brothers and sisters congregation, I want to start with a question to the children. Do you know, boys and girls, why mum and dad believe in God? Also, why do you believe in God? You might answer, well, people often say that if you don't believe you won't go to heaven. And because we all want to go to heaven, when we die, that's why we believe. And we also want others to believe because it would be sad if all our kind, non-believing relatives, neighbors, and working colleagues, when they wouldn't go to, to heaven. And this is how Christians sometimes speak about faith. Congregation, is this the right way to talk about faith and why we believe? If one only believes in order to get to heaven, that would be pretty selfish, wouldn't it? 
This motivation for believing would also create uncertainty about your faith. Because you always question your faith. You might ask, is my faith the right faith? Is it good enough to go to heaven? Do I imagine that my faith is okay? Well, in the meantime, it's not. Will I not discover at my death and at the end that I end up in hell? Because after all, I did not have the right kind of faith. Didn't we read in Matthew twenty-two fourteen? For many are called, but few are chosen. So this is not a matter of waiting and seeing whether I had the right faith. Yes, faith comes from the Holy Spirit. We can't give faith to others and make them believe in God. But what, what if the faith I have is not from the Holy Spirit, but a self-imagined faith something I make up in my mind could I say the same about my about the faith of my my parents children friends do they genuinely believe from the heart or is it just outwardness to keep peace with family, friends, and church members. Brothers, let's be honest. Most of us have struggled these questions somewhere in our lives. Maybe you're still struggling with these questions right now. Do I really believe? And no surprise, for, for we are weak. And Satan always attacks us, always put question marks behind what God is doing. And many doubts could cloud our minds when we are, let's say, emotionally or spiritually on a low. Oh, sure, we, we, we try to keep our post towards others, and we say the right things to our elders and our friends and our relatives. But in the meantime, deep in ourselves, we have all those questions about our faith. And these are tough questions. And we need to answer them from, from God's Word. Where else will we find answers? But the beautiful thing is that God is speaking to us. Every Sunday He calls us. And the worst thing you can do with all those deep questions bothering you, is to, to close your ears and your heart to the Lord's call through the preaching. Because the right faith, the proper faith, true faith, eventually comes through listening. Listening to God's voice. And therefore I preach to you God's word as we confess it in Laws 7 as follows. The Lord calls. Therefore, first, one needs to believe. And sisters, in connection with Lord's Day 7, we also read this afternoon from our third Reformed Confession, Canons of Dort. And chapter 3, 4, articles 8 to 10 
summarize what the Bible says about the Lord's call in and through the gospel. Because when he calls someone through the preaching to come to him and to believe, he does so earnestly and most sincerely. It's an urgent invitation. Article 8 highlights this by referring to the parable of the wedding feast. The same parable ends with the words, For many are called, but few chosen. And the reference in Article 8 is to verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. And so our gracious God wants the venue of his kingdom's feast to be filled. He doesn't come with empty promises. Now the Lord says, come to me, join in, participate in my kingdom. Everything is ready for you to enjoy. My son's death on the cross has earned a place for you at this feast. And in him, I want you to be to be everything, I want to be everything to you, so that you can be everything to my son. Yes, even if you feel weak and undeserving of me, your triune God. Because as, as your father, I deeply care about you. And my son, your brother, he's covered your sin with his precious blood. And God, the Holy Spirit, who went out from the Father and the Son, He wants to make your heart a dwelling place and make you a, a living member of Christ. He wants to make you a true believer. And these are not empty promises. Only the, the complete truth. He calls you to accept and to believe these promises. To take Jesus seriously in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The trouble is, in, in our modern age, or post-postmodern age, is what do I do, what do you do when... When you, when you struggle to, let's put it this way, when you struggle to gel God's promises with your current worldview or, or activities, when there's a, a gap, a trench between what you hear on Sunday, what you read in God's Word, and what reality looks like for you and how you experience it to a point that, that there's, a, there's no connection. Is it God's fault? Can you then blame God for unrealistic promises or that His word is is just too hard to match with scientific and economic principles? Can you say, uh, Lord, 
I want to submit to your word, but yeah, I need to figure this out first. And by the way, yeah, I'm not sure whether I believe. You did not give me a, a strong faith. That's not how I feel. And, and yeah, sorry to tell you, God, but only you can be blamed for me if, if I don't adhere to your serious call to trust you for 100%. Because faith is given, isn't it? Well, this sounds blasphemous, and, and it is. But don't forget, brothers and sisters, that such reasoning is not strange to our sinful and depraved hearts. And therefore we confess in Article 8 that the fault for ignorance and unbelief lies within man. Consider again the parable where all the invitees had uh, all kinds of excuses. Business, new home, you name it. Some were even rude. Murderers, they killed the, the servants, those who, who brought the invitation, verse 6. One can understand why Jesus asked in Luke 18, verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And therefore, it's, it's a miracle when someone responds to the call of the King. And verse 10 says, the wedding hall was filled with guests. And they were not all people of great reputation. Verse 10 also speaks, says that there were evil people, people like Zacchaeus, or the criminal on the cross next to Jesus who accepted the call. Also people like John and Nathanael, of whom Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. They came because they, they humbly believed the word, because faith comes by the hearing and adhering to the call of the Lord. And so they came. Was, was with their faith and, and obedience then the result of their inner capabilities? No. Otherwise they could have boasted and say, well, look at me, you know, I'm... I'm I'm such an obedient person. Allow me to use an example, a comparison, um, for the sake of the boys and girls, to understand this better. Uh, you know, we, in, in Busselton, we have a, a rescue chopper, helicopter, you know, that regularly patrols the beaches in, in summer. Now, let's say that the, the, the chopper rescued someone swept out by a current. You know, that person can never say, oh, look at me. You know, I'm a real hero because I held tightly to that rope from the rescue helicopter. I'm rescued because I have listened so well to, to the instructions given from the aircraft who called me to grab the harness and, and attach the rope. That's silly. No, he can only praise the crew of the rescue helicopter. And the same is true with faith. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to listen. And so in every sermon, 
Bible study, reading, the Spirit continues to work faith in our hearts to respond to the call of the Lord. And sometimes even against our sinful will, resulting in pain. Pain for us. But he still uses the word to, to cut the resistance from our hearts. Because he, we are still responsible beings. We're not programmed computers or robots. But when the Lord then calls through his servants, the apostles, the prophets, the apostles, and those preaching the gospel, or through the elder at, at a home visit, we need to believe. We need to believe that this call to trust Jesus with your life, to trust God 100%, is a genuine call. In fact, it is worth pursuing at all costs. And when you RSVP positively through the power of the Holy Spirit, and when you come, God will fill you with divine joy at the wedding feast. He has all the right for you to respond positively and to not resist the Spirit or close your ears to the call. And for this reason, he sent his Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to work to lead us into truth. And so we come to the second aspect. One needs to believe, but how? Congregation, I mentioned in the introduction potential struggles we could have with, with our faith. Do I believe the right way? Is my faith authentic? Is it spontaneous enough? And you could spend hours pondering in your heart and mind about the genuineness of your faith. But I think it's an improper way to deal with the faith mentioned in Law 7. Because Law 7 beautifully shows us how to respond. It does not come with a list of boxes to tick when it speaks about faith like spontaneity or the level of Bible study or the intensity of our prayers. To again use the example of the, of the rescue helicopter. You know, when, when the lifesaver who throws the rope from the, from the aircraft, when he calls to the drowning person in the water to, to grab the rope with the harness, the person in the water should not reason by himself in this way, say, okay, well, first I must express my sincere appreciation for the pilot and lifesaver, and, and, and then I must assess the rope to see if it's strong enough to hold me. Uh, and yeah, then I must carefully and joyfully put my arms through the harness and, and kick hard with my feet when the man in the helicopter pulls me up. You might laugh, it's ridiculous. But that's often how we deal with faith. No, he must, he must do what the lifesaver tells him. Grab the harness. Hook your arms. Hold tight. We'll lift you to safety. And faith is all about believing what God says and obeying the call. 
I don't know, this is not a waterproof comparison, but it gives you a bit of idea. What we find is common should also be in our hearts when it concerns faith. And this is also the, the focus of Laws 7. It doesn't want us to start with our faith qualities as, as, if, as if we could score with the Lord based on, on our level of trust or our performance. We should never find confidence in the strength of our faith. Even if we see the fruits of faith in our lives. No, genuine faith focuses on the strength of the Lord and on His powerful word. The whole truth of His promises of forgiveness and renewal. And so from Lord's Day 6, we have learned to revere God's great love for us and, and His wonderful plan to redeem us. And that plan in which Christ became a man like us works itself out in our lives. And so when we do struggle in our weaknesses with our faith, and we have all these questions, we should not turn to ourselves but return to him, prayerfully asking answers from him, in him and in his word. Faith really is about finding rest in him. To take up his yoke and to learn from him. And this is possible because our God is the faithful covenant God. He is not a God at a distance who has withdrawn himself, like you sorted out yourself. See for yourself how you get out of the sea, out of the current. Now he's done the opposite. He has revealed himself to us. Even while we did not seek him and were still caught up in the ways of our sinfulness, he sought us and he called us. He's a God that covenanted himself to us in his sovereign mercy. He looks out for us as the father of the prodigal son. And we could then still acknowledge, like the prodigal son, Father in heaven, I'm not worthy to be loved or to be saved by you. For I have sinned against the heaven and before you. I only deserve eternal wrath and judgment. I'm like every child in the church, conceived and born in sin. But thank you, Lord. Thank you for calling me in your grace and inviting me to your son's wedding feast, to the feast of salvation. Thank you for graciously granting me forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation for the sake of of your son's merits. You see, brothers and sisters, then faith is very personal. It's more than just believing that there is a God somewhere in the universe. Or at best hoping that your faith is good enough for you to go to heaven one day. The true faith is to RSVP positively to God's call. And to let his Holy Spirit kindle in your heart that trust. What we also confess in Belgian Confession, Article 22, that, that trust in God. 
means embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Also, as Reformed people, we need Jesus Christ as our Savior. And you only embrace someone you fully trust and want to engage with very personally. And for this reason also, true faith always involves prayer. And I mean by prayer, not just a muttering of a few standard formulas uh, without thinking, but, but personal prayer, where you, where you open and where you share your heart's deepest feelings with the Lord after you've read His Word. This is how you need to believe and respond to His call. To have the attitude of a wedding guest joyfully participating in the feast. You might say, well, struggle with depression. I don't know how you get this. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on the Lord. It depends on what He gives and what He said. Then you can, even in dark places. Think about David, Psalm 23. In the valleys of death, enjoy that special relationship with the Lord. With his son, the bridegroom. And not like the man in the parable of whom we read in verse 11. Because this man also responded to the urgent call to join the wedding feast. And eventually he was, he was kicked out of the feast. Not because the invitation was not urgent enough. Not because they ran out of space at the table. No, he also joined the meal. However, he did not participate in faith, love, and respect for the king and his son. He only joined the feast for his own fun and benefits. To score a free meal or a free trip to heaven. He couldn't be bothered wearing a wedding garment. To show his joy and his love for the king and his son? Or to use the, the comparison with the, uh, with the rescue helicopter example. You know, th this man was, was like a guy who, who grabbed the robe because he wanted to score a free helicopter ride. He had no true faith. And you're playing with fire when you believe with the wrong motivation or respond to God's earnest call to please just your family or keep the elders of your back. Or when you constantly question or focus on your faith and how you express it, then, then you lose your focus on the giver of faith, which is God, the Holy Spirit. And so if you focus on the Lord who called you and you admire him for his love for you, then your faith does not become a problem, but a fantastic gift from God's hand. A gift from the Holy Spirit which produces God-honoring fruit in your life. Fruits of faith which honor your faithful trying God. And then people are not complimenting you, but complimenting or praising God. And thank and praise Him for what He is doing 
in your life. And this brings us to the third and last aspect. One needs to believe, but what? Brothers and sisters, unfortunately and sadly enough, there are Christians today who are more than happy to believe only a few basic things about the Bible. And you hear them saying sometimes, oh, it's not about faith knowledge, it's about faith feelings. It's that conviction. I mean, they don't mind theologians being busy with the practical details of the Bible, but for themselves, uh, keep life easy. Uh, so faith knowledge yeah, does not always connect to faith feelings, and they are they're okay with that. And the argument is that it doesn't matter how you read or interpreted the scriptures, as long as you feel you believe in God. And therefore, it doesn't matter into which church you go or what interpretation of scripture you have, as long as you feel you believe. I mean, who are we to judge others in what they believe? As long as we are united. In, in a confession that, that, that Jesus is the Savior. Now, Francis, this might sound like a loving, caring, considerate approach. But it's not. Our catechism chooses an opposite view in line with God's Word. Because it says that Christians need to believe all that has been promised in the Gospel. That's the whole Bible from A to Z. And note here, congregation, how we confess this. We must not incorporate sayings or writings of an old book, but accept all that has been promised us in the gospel. Everything that God tells us about who he is, what he said and is saying, what he did and he's still doing and will do in the future. Yes, even those hard passages which are difficult to, to, to believe, or maybe boring, or, or less attractive. doesn't matter. It's accepting the Bible from A to Z, including six days of creation, including the um, uh, ascension of Christ, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, including the promise that he will come back. And for this reason, Jesus told us to pray for the Spirit. And that is why we need the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke 11 verse 13. And Galatians 3, 5 adds, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? We know the answer. We must pray for God's Spirit to overrule our weak interests in God's Word and promises. We must pray that the Spirit works Humble excitement and obedience to the revelation that God has given through His Spirit. Congregation, God's Word is not just, just a few 
history stories mixed with uh, you know a bit of poetry and prophecies and, and four gospels and a whole stack of apostolic letters. The whole package, the entire Bible is the product of God, the Holy Spirit himself, who creates life, physical life and spiritual life. The fact that he used ordinary people to write it down is more a token of his love and his care for us than anything else. The fact that he gave them unique gifts to write down what he wanted in the Bible infallibly is a token of his grace so that we can understand in our own language. And yes, there might be some parts that are not easy to understand. Even amongst the apostles, they struggle sometimes to get what the other one was saying or writing. So it might not be easy to understand, let alone to believe. But we must keep listening to God's heart and not ours. And we must remain to what God has revealed in his wisdom. Listen to the words that he gave. The words of life. And, and therefore, read your Bible, pray every day. is not just a children's song. It's, it's the link to Christ and eternal life. For you seek what is outside of yourself in Christ. And also here, brothers and sisters, let us not trust our pious attitude or spontaneous heart, nor our good intentions of how we would change or go more often to church or give more in the collection. But keep asking for the Lord to be the way, the truth, and the life for you and me, John 14, 6. Because the Spirit gives faith in all kinds of measures, to whom He wants and when He wants, but ultimately calls us to continue drinking the waters of life from Scripture every day. So much that you will never thirst again. And then you also be well prepared and well dressed to join all the other true believers at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We can't wait for the day, can we? Amen.